Talk Radio for inquisitive people. Solace Radio, Montevistic, Colorado. Dear Rabbi Greg, hello Rabbi. We love your sermons. Ha. I love how straightforward you are about God and Yeshua. We pray that there are many more. We would love to see you in person sometime. We are from San Antonio, Texas. We would also love to go to the 2024 Israel trip. Um, sincerely. Michael, um, if you and your mom, I presume it's you and your mom, I am just feel that, want to come to Beth Yeshua and you can't afford it, I will pay your way to come. So let me know. Uh, call the office this week or send us a note. And if you want to do that, we will make that happen, okay? Um, I've been involved with the Messianic movement for 30 years. You know, I used to say that I've only been a believer for five years, ten years, and it seemed like such a short period of time. But 30 years is a long time, a long time, especially when you're involved with it every day. Yet, I want you to know that does not make me an authority on all things messianic, nor does it mean that I have it all figured out, not by any stretch of the imagination. I do my best to understand what the Bible is saying, of course, and then I try and simplify it so we can all just get the message. I have seen my fair share of people come into the Messianic movement over the 30 years, majoring on the minors. Yeshua himself makes reference to this in Matthew 23, where he says that of those who were overly concerned about minutia, but grossly blind to enormous sins like hypocrisy and dishonesty and cruelty and greed. He said they were careful to tithe their mint and their dill and their cumin, while at the same time they neglected the weightier issues like justice, mercy, and trust. Yeshua referred to it as straining out a gnat, but swallowing a camel. Um, if you know about the first century, they drank a lot of wine. The water was not good, so they drank wine over water. And the wine was a sweet wine. And um, sweet wines attract gnats. So as they would drink the sweet wine, they would actually strain the gnats between their teeth, very careful to make sure they didn't ingest the gnat. And then he says, but you'll swallow a camel, not a cow. A camel is the largest unclean animal in Israel. Look, guys, I know we're all just trying to figure it out. I know that we're always learning and trying to get new revelation. Some of us anyway. Some of us are so set in their theology that they have what I call spiritual rigor mortis. They're not teachable, not even by the Holy Spirit. To this pursuit of trying to figure it out, when it comes to fundamental issues, there must be unity. There must be. Cross-denominational lines, if you call yourself a follower of Messiah. When it comes to subordinate issues, there must be liberty. But in all things, there must be charity. In other words, stop fighting. We need to try and make every effort to maintain the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. If there is heresy or an anti-biblical doctrine, then of course I say separate yourselves from it. By the same token, I have many Christian brothers and sisters in the faith that I love dearly and that I consider part of my family as they consider me part of their family. I will not allow Satan to use things like food and feasts to divide us. With that being said, I believe a discussion about these very things is important. Now, why do I say it's important? 
The congregation I took over overnight when I first got into the Messianic movement, it was called Beth Judah in Ormond Beach. They had a terrible situation happen, one of the worst I've seen. The only worst situation I've seen was what happened here about 12 years ago. But it was horrible what happened at Beth Judah. It was a um, one of the first congregations in the whole MJAA, actually, that was able to build a building, which was astounding for a Messianic Jewish congregation, most of them with 25 people. And we had just built the building, we had, and uh, we were happy. We were really happy. Most of us were Jews. The whole eldership was Jews. It was Bernie Toba and Barry Brummer, Greg Hirschberg, um, Dennis Richards, um, Harry Berger, Shelley London. The congregation was mostly Jewish. And so food and feast never came up. There was nothing to discuss. We weren't asking ourselves why we worship on Saturday. That's what we did growing up. We didn't, we didn't take, we didn't take Saturday out of the mix. We didn't take the feast out of the mix. We just brought Yeshua in. The Bible says as many as received him, they were to be called sons of God. We weren't giving anything. We, it, Yeshua didn't ask us to give up the, our Judaism. He asked to receive him. So for us, it was a no-brainer. Then I come to Mactown and, And, and literally, it's, it's been challenging. I'm not, not looking for a violin, but because we have people coming in here, and they're not necessarily coming because they want to follow Messianic Judaism. See, at Beth Judah, everybody that came was looking for a Messianic Jewish congregation. They wanted to live a Messianic Jewish lifestyle. Here, some people hear a sermon, they like my approach, they like how straightforward it is, and they start coming, and they start liking it, and they start loving it. Until they find out, what do you mean you don't celebrate Christmas? And if I built this building again, I would definitely build a revolving door. Or they're coming six months and then you don't eat. What? And that's why I don't push it. But I'm begging you not to as well. God, forgive me, but you make a bad name for the Messianic community. Just like people don't like Bible thumpers. They don't like food and feast thumpers. I can't understand why Gentiles will focus on the minutia and not focus on Yeshua. So a discussion needs to be had. This discussion I never had at Beth Judah. Never. I just will tell you, as always, you have two ears, one for listening, one for letting go. Use the listening one today. I'm going to speak about this again next week because I don't want to be rushed, and see if it resonates with the Scriptures, if it resonates with the Holy Spirit. But the bottom line is, you are more than entitled. I don't even have to entitle you, but I feel like I have to say this, to walk out the faith as you see fit. The fact of the matter is, you're going to do that anyway, right? You're all in control of your own lives. You all make your own decisions. I can't make any decisions for you, nor do I want to. I've never wanted my theology to be imposed upon your theology. Never. Never. But I think you'll see this is biblically correct, I'm hoping, and I think you'll see this is logically correct, really. So, because kashrut, clean eating, and moadim, Hebrew words for the feast, because those two are found in the Torah, I think we first have to ask ourselves, what is Torah? Because some people will tell you, oh, the Torah, I'm not even sure. Oh, the Torah, that's the first five books, the Pentateuch, right? Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, 
Deuteronomy. That's Torah. Not exactly. Not according to the strict definition. And I know this is going to get a tad technical, but sometimes you've got to hear more than just rah, rah, sis, boom, bah, let's eat. So bear with me. Let's look at the first time this word shows up in Exodus 24, 12. And it says, Adonai said to Moshe, this is quote from the Lord, come up to me on the mountain and stay there. I will give you the stone tablets with the Torah and the mitzvot commandments I have written on them so that you can teach them. Okay. So we're going to look at this word Torah. We're going to look it up in the Hebrew lexicon because the Old Testament is written in Hebrew. And the word means law, direction, instruction. So what this word basically means, God's Torah, is his teachings. That's what it means, God's teachings. The root word that I've been put up here, not every Hebrew word has a root, but this has a root and an important root. It's called the ara, and it means to shoot. And it's likened to shooting an arrow and hitting the mark. In other words, God's Torah in God's kingdom for God's children, if obeyed, is getting it right. It's, it's that simple. A five-year-old can understand that, right? Like, that's how you get it right. Simple? Sure. Etymologically, the word Torah refers more to teaching than it does law. Our flesh that we still have, some of us have more than others, but we all have a component. We all have this in nature. It hates law. It hates law. I know people that are stopped on the highway by a police officer because they are breaking the law and they look at him like, don't you have something better to do than to pull me over for merely speeding? Don't you have an important crime? You're committing a crime. The laws are there so you don't kill somebody. If you want to drive like an imbecile and look down at your phone and be on a dirt road and kill yourself, that's your prerogative. But there's other people that you're responsible for and you could hurt them by being a jerk. So our flesh hates laws. It doesn't matter if you're at Burger King. I see people all the time, and the rule is no wearing shoes because if a kid is wearing a boot and he goes down the slide with that boot and another kid doesn't get off the slide in time and that kid's like two or three years old and he gets kicked in the head, he can have a concussion or worse, a brain bleed. And then somebody tells you, excuse me, sir, and right there, you're going to tell me what to do? Who are you? I'm the, I'm, I'm the Burger King. That's who I am. I'm the king of the burgers. And it's almost like you, you, everybody gets bowed up. That's your flesh, man. You, 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 you can't submit. You gotta be your own king and your own God. And then you go, but I love the Lord. No, you don't. You think you do. I'm telling you, you don't. How dare you say that to me, Rabbi? I'm saying it to you. Because if you don't submit to something that you do see, you cannot submit to something that you don't see. So show me insubordination and I'll show you a non-God-fearer every day of the week. These rules are there to protect people, to prevent chaos. Your soul loves Torah. Your flesh hates it, just despises it. The Torah instructs man on who God is and what his righteousness looks like. In other words, if, if the Torah turned into a man, we'd see exactly the way that 
wait a minute, Torah did turn into a man. A little bit more than that. He was more than just the Torah, because the Torah has to bleed. The Torah is the national constitution of Israel. So you're all boasting about how grafted you are and you're part of the commonwealth? Well, why don't you obey the commonwealth rules? Oh, rather, I'm going to focus on food and feast. I'm not going to focus on morality. God's going to be impressed with that, even though I don't help anybody. I mean, I help my own. My family gets help, but I'm not going to extend any past that. It is the national constitution of Israel describing how God, the great king himself, wants his people to function in his kingdom. And by the way, the Torah is a tree of life to those who take hold of it, and those who support it are praiseworthy. It's ways of ways of pleasantness, and all its paths to peace. Amen. That's right out of the Bible, by the way. That's Proverbs 3. First of all, allow me to say that the confusion with the Torah comes into play more with Paul's letters than it does with the Gospels. The Gospel is clear-cut. If you ask any Orthodox rabbi that has ever studied the life of Jesus, he will say he was a very Torah-observant Jew. He had to be. If he didn't observe the Torah, then his blood is tainted. We don't have a legitimate sacrifice dying for the sins of the world. He said, I did not come to abolish. Just stop right there. I know some of you heard the law is nailed to the cross. I know you heard that. How could that be? How could what's holy, just, and good be nailed to the cross? Do you understand what you're saying? You're saying that once Yeshua died, if you believe in him, now you can steal and lie and commit adultery and turn a blind eye to the poor, the widow, and the orphan. Do you hear what you're saying? That's preposterous. That's anti-biblical. That's demonic. It's a demonic doctrine. So there's no problem with the Gospels. We get it. But then we read Paul's letters and everything goes haywire. Everybody interprets these letters differently. There is no two interpretations alike. Every ministry just interprets it differently. Here's the problem. One of the major reasons for this, this confusion, is that the Greek language of Paul's day, which is what the Bible, the New Testament was written in Greek, it possessed, it didn't have any word or word group corresponding to modern day terms like legalism, legalist, or legalistic. In other words, Paul had no way in the, in the Greek language of his day to express those terms. So law and legalism was basically the same word. So you'd have to understand who he was, know who he was writing to, and what the subject matter before you could have a knee-jerk reaction to what he was saying, which is what we have. Paul had no way of expressing the difference between law and legalism in the language of his day. Because of this, and it's huge, guys, I believe we need to be careful not to have this knee-jerk reaction when we see certain terms in his epistles that initially look as though they are saying the law is bad or worse yet that the law is history. For instance, I'm just going to grab a verse here and there. I'm not going to belabor it. Galatians 
2.16 says, and I'm reading from the King James Version for a reason, because I'll bring you back to the complete Jewish Bible. Knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith of Jesus Christ, even we have believed in Jesus Christ, that we might be justified by the faith of Christ, and not by the works of the law, for by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. Looking up this word that's highlighted, what is he referring to? The word in Greek, render righteous, it means to be redeemed. It means to be forgiven of your sins. Meaning, there is no way on God's green earth that you will ever be forgiven of your sins by obeying the law. Because if you break one law, you broke the entirety of it. God's passing grade is 100%. Not 98, not 99. He set it up that way for a reason. To humble us, to bring us to our knees. That was the point. That we would understand what he was doing. In other words, what this is saying, basically, is that the Torah cannot save you. It was actually given to a people already saved. The children of Israel were saved or redeemed in Exodus 12. But they didn't receive the law until Exodus 19. You follow? They received the law after they were delivered. Well, we too have been saved. And as New Covenant believers, we too have received the law, not written on tablets of stone, but written on the tablets of our heart. Post-salvation. Post-salvation. So we have been saved by grace, just as they were, not by works. 100% grace, 0% works. This is our jumping off point. This is where we all have to be on the same playing field. Every single believer, not just in this room, but every believer in the body of Messiah. With that being said, we have to delve into another term in the same verse called works of the law. Let me show you how confusing this is. Again, looking in the King James, which is the most popular version for the most part. Galatians 2.16 again. Knowing that a man is not justified, we're not saved by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. Even we have believed in Jesus Christ that we might be justified by faith and not by the works of the law. For the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. What are we talking about here? Let's look it up. Ergon nomos. Basically, works of law. That's that's what it means. Ergon works, nomos law. He's not talking about acts of righteousness because we're supposed to do acts of righteousness. What else is there to do after we get saved and after we're a member of the kingdom? But you must, for the love of God, study in context because you can do such damage, such and some of it's irreversible. Not acts of righteousness, but a legalistic observance in order to gain salvation. A legalistic observance in order to gain salvation. Therefore, this verse is far better, far better translated than the CJB. The CJB has a couple of issues, I think. I think sometimes David Stern, who passed away recently, was so brilliant. I think sometimes he uses... Words that are difficult for people to understand, but he was just an off the charts legitimate genius. With that being said, look at Galatians 2.16. 
It says, even so we have come to realize that a person is not declared righteous, talking about redemption, by God on the ground of his legalistic observance of Torah commands, but through the Messiah Yeshua's trusting faithfulness. It's not even your faith. It's the object of your faith. You are trusting in what he did as the answer for the forgiveness of your sins. That's why he is called the faithful servant, not us. We have faith in his faithfulness. Therefore, we too have put our trust in Messiah Yeshua and become faithful to him in order that we might be declared righteous on the ground of the Messiah's trusting faithfulness and not on the ground of our legalistic observance of Torah commands. We have been saved by grace. By the way, remember how I told you that the natural man and the flesh hates... What does it hate? It hates law. It hates grace. It can't deal with grace. Because if it accepts grace... It has to extend grace. And the fleshly man don't want to forgive nobody. We're not saved on the ground of our legalistic observance of Torah commands. For on the ground of legalistic observance of Torah commands, no one, no one, no one will be declared righteous. Every one of us has a book in heaven. It says God opened up in Revelation the book of life and then he says he opened up the books. I'm curious, what, what books? Is there another book besides the book of life? Yes. Every one of us has a book. And if you go before God and have the audacity, the audacity to sit there and tell him how good you were, he's going to turn away from you as you're talking and he's going to go to this bookshelf. And he's going to pull your book off. And he's going to say, "Oh, please tell me more of all the great things you've done. And when you're finished, you see this? This is full of all the things that you shouldn't have done. But not just sins of commission. I, I have other volumes on you. Sins of omission, things you should have done that you didn't do. So go on and then I'll take over and we'll put them on the scale and see what outweighs what. The law was given to reveal our sin and not to become our Savior. This, of course, now hear me because this already ruffled some of your little legalistic feathers. I, I love the Torah. I kiss the Torah. Good. Let the Torah save you. First of all, if I hear one more Gentile tell me the Torah observant, I'm going to kill myself. You're not Torah observant. You might be trying to be. I'll agree with you there. But as far as I know, only Yeshua was Torah observant. Anybody know anybody that's obeyed the Torah perfectly every day of their life since they got saved? Just curious. I'd love to meet that person. I ain't never seen a person walk on water, but I'd love to take that person to the beach. <laughs> Just because the Torah was not to become our Savior, this, of course, does not mean, let me take it to the other side. Look, I know I'm kind of an equal opportunity basher. When I meet Jewish people, which I meet all the time, and they tell me how Torah observant they are, I go at them. When I meet Gentiles that tell me how Torah observant they are, I go at them. When I see people that say the law doesn't count, I go at them. When I see people say the law is so important, I go at them. Because both positions are off. There has to be law and grace. 
If it's a hundred percent law, we all fail. And there's no way of recovery. It's a gutter ball. All law, no grace. It's a gutter ball. You walk in that, it's dangerous. You know why? It's total destruction. And some of you think you walk in it. Which is, wow! Not only you, you don't even see the destruction. That's deception. And you say, but look at all the people, Rabbi, that are all grace. They're grace abusers. They're deceived. Yes. And if you think you obey the law perfectly, you're deceived with them. Of course, I'm not telling you that we should be lawless. No. Or this law was nailed to us. Of course, I'm not saying that. In fact, if you are born again, it doesn't mean the law was nailed to the cross. It means the law was nailed to your heart. The things that I'm not doing anymore that I used to do, I had no problem doing them. My conscience was seared. I didn't feel any guilt. None. Zero. In fact, I felt pretty good about it. People say, Rabbi, when you were doing that stuff, you felt bad, right? You weren't having a good time. I didn't feel bad and I was having a great time. You're totally wrong. But once the law was nailed to my heart, any little thing that I do off, I feel horrible. So I'm not saying that just because the law can't be our savior, that we should kick it to the curb. So works of law, doing works of righteousness, that's what you should be doing. But works of righteousness to impress God, that's what you shouldn't be doing. No way. You're going to upstage the cross? You're a legend in your own mind. Guys, I, I don't know if you're aware of this, but every great man of God or woman of God since the disciples to the current time, if you look over the greats, every one of them, if they were here, will tell you as they got closer to God, the more humble they became, the uglier they looked in their own eyes. So if you're proud of yourself, you do not have a close relationship with my father. You do not. If you're impressed with yourself, you do not. Rabbi, you're assaulting me. No, the Holy Spirit is trying to wake you up, brother. And I am not taking credit for it. That's straight Bible 101. Humble yourself in the sight of God. That's not my opinion. How could you not? I don't even get it. Every time I hang with God, I experience humility. Every time. You, you, you really think your picture is the only one on his fridge? What's wrong with you? Don't you read Paul's testimony? Don't you read what he went through? Left for dead, left naked, beaten with rods, whipped, stoned. It was horrific. Or a guy like Job, you don't come close. And Paul said, I consider it dung. Any accolade I have, I consider it crap. And Job said, I spoke too soon. Forgive me. Where do you get off? That's ugly, man. That's spiritually ugly. There's one other thing we have to go over. And it's not works of the law. It's under the law, which has caused even more confusion. Look at Romans 6.14. For sin shall not have dominion over you, Paul says to the believers in Rome. For ye are not under the law, but under grace. You tell me how many people have misunderstood this. Okay, I'm not under the law. What does that mean? Law is history. I'm under grace, right? Okay, if you read it that way, sure. Now let's look up the word. 
The other one was ergon nomos, works of law. This is upo nomos, under the law. It is not rendered under the law, but in subjection to the system that results from perverting Torah into legalism. Torah perversion, spiritual perversion. Again, its usage in the CJB lends itself to a much better translation that Paul would have had loved to use, but he didn't have the English language. He was hampered. He had no word to separate law from legalism. We do. So take a look at verse 14. It says, for sin will not have authority over you. True? Because you are not under legalism. You see the difference? It's huge. Guys, it's huge. You are not... Man, I wish you could see what I say. Forgive me, that sounds arrogant. But man, you should have been like, wow! Sin does not have authority over the born-again believer. Yeshua has authority over the born-again believer. He or she, referring to the born-again believer, is not obeying God for their salvation. They are obeying God because of their salvation. I read you a psalm this morning. David said that I've been forgiven, therefore I fear you, God. It births fear and respect and awe and reverence and a desire to obey. You think you're obeying because you're good? Or you obey and go, look what I did. I gave 10%. I helped out a homeless person. I'm good. That comes from God's grace. He did that. He made that happen. Give God the glory. We're used to being in the world, right? Some of us have accomplished great things. Not in God's kingdom. That doesn't fly. Nobody cares about how much you know. Nobody cares about how your business grew. Nobody cares about your little trophies in the kingdom of God. You who are the most humble will be greatest in God's kingdom. The born-again believer does not obey God to gain favor from Him, but to show love towards Him. The born-again believer has received the Holy Spirit, the power for holy living, and he is motivated to live holy by love for the Savior as opposed to fear of punishment. I hope. I mean, that's what the Bible says, but I hope some of us get that. I hope you're obeying God because you just love Him. You just love Him. You say, I don't understand this. I love you so much more than anything else. I love you more than life. I don't get it, God. How did this happen? You opened up chambers in my heart that I didn't know existed. I fell in love with the Lord when I met Him. That's how I met Him. And then I walked into a Messianic synagogue, and this is the first song I heard. We bring a sacrifice of praise into the house. And I thought, that's weird. Praise is a sacrifice? I don't know if you met who I met. Rabbi, I like that song. Sorry. (laughs) Much of Christian theology about Torah is based on what I would say is a misunderstanding of these two expressions which Paul invented. Under the law, ergon nomos, and works of the law, upo nomos. They appear 20 times in his epistles. 20 times, that's a lot. Paul considers both these expressions negatively. Under law and works of law both refer to legalism. 
Christian theology, on the other hand, views them as within the framework of observing Torah. That's how they define it, within the framework of observing Torah. So within the framework of observing Torah is bad. It's bad. But this can't be true. It can't be true. Not my opinion, not your opinion. All we need to do is read the following verse from Romans 6.14 and you'll see it's not true. Look at Romans 6.14. I'll read them both to you in the KJV and the CJB and that's all the scripture I have for you today. It says, For sin shall not have dominion over you, for ye are not under the law, but under grace. Okay, so some might go, okay, so the law is not, it has nothing to do with me. I'm under grace. It says, what then? Ask the question. Paul's using the objector. Shall we sin? In other words, shall we become more lawless? Shall we do lawless deeds? Shall we do acts of unrighteousness? I know it sounds nuts that he had to put it there. But he had to put it there. Because he was hampered in the language of his day. Shall we sin because we are not under the law but under grace? God forbids it. Not God forbid the way secular people say it. You know what I mean? Hey, I'm on my way. I hope I don't get a flag. God forbid. God bless you. What are you saying God bless you for? You don't even know God. I'm talking about Paul saying, as a person who knows God, God forbids this. God forbids acts of unrighteousness. God forbids lawless acts. Forbids it. It's forbidden. Like the forbidden fruit. No touchy. Don't go near it. Look at in Romans 6, 14, 15 in the CJB. It essentially says the same thing. For sin will not have authority over you because you are not under legalism but under grace. Therefore, what conclusion should we reach? Let's go on sinning because we're not under legalism but under grace. Heaven forbids it. Those who are afraid of grace insist that it gives license for sinning. Do you know what? I think some people come to the Messianic movement honestly. And they're comfortable. You know why? Because all their life they've been beaten up. They've been beaten up. They've been told what to do by a parent. Maybe they were in the military. I don't know. But they've been ordered around. And they feel good about God ordering them and making them do stuff. And it makes them feel good. And then they go around and order everybody else around. Like, I'm doing it, then you have to do it. You follow? I'm, I'm doing this. Why aren't you doing this? Who died and left you boss? When did you become Messiah's militia? Grace does not give a person license for sinning. It gives a person love for the Lord. And they end up not wanting to hurt him by sinning. Paul meets this error head on. Head on. By asking the question... And then flat out denying it. He asked the question, should we go on sinning? No way, he says. No way. We are free from the law, but we are not lawless. Grace means free to serve the Lord. And free to not sin against Him. Not free to do whatever you want. Free to serve the Lord. We're free to love the Lord. The last time I checked, we are enslaved. We're slaves of righteousness. Paul called himself a slave. A bondservant. Who wouldn't want to be a bondservant to doing good? Who wouldn't want to be a bondservant to blessing others? Oh, we want blessing. Sure we do. But you are not called to be a terminal of God's blessing. We were called to be a channel of God's blessing. In Romans 6.1, he says, shall we continue in sin? Here the question is, 
shall we sin just a little? Just a little? How about if 90%? How about if I just tithe in my sin? How about if... Listen, this is impressive though. Sitting down with God and going, 90% of the time I will not sin. I don't even think there's anybody in here who can get away with saying that. Some of you I know all too well. I wouldn't even be 50-50. Not even close. Rabbi, why do you push this? Because if I press me down and I press you down, God gets lifted up. And that's my objective. Satan wants to bring God down. He wants to bring God on our level. He wants us to say, Jesus is my homeboy. Jesus ain't your homeboy, homie. Jesus is the Son of God, the King of Israel, the Messiah of the world. Legalism is not what you do, but the reason behind why you are doing it. Most of us will say at points in our life, I don't know why I did that. Anybody ever said that? Come on. Everybody show your hands. Whoever doesn't show your hand, please leave. Anybody ever said, why did I say that? Come on. So what are we saying to ourselves? I don't understand what motivates my heart. Okay, so we don't even understand the motivations of our own heart. Sometimes, sometimes we do. How the heck are you going to understand the motivations of somebody else? How quick you are on the trigger. It's, oh my God, how quick. Do you know what another person is going through? Do you know if you meet a woman and she's a lunatic in front of you online at Starbucks and she just got a text from her husband that says, I'm leaving. Do you know that? You don't know that. You've got to give people the same benefit of the doubt that God is giving us. The spirit of legalism wants a person to believe that they are in some way superior to others. Let me repeat that. It's rampant in the messianic movement, but it's just as rampant in the Christian community, especially among those who are super duper. The spirit of legalism wants a person to believe that they are in some way superior to others due to a circumstance, their testimony. I never shared my testimony for years. First of all, I I didn't know you were supposed to, because I was a brand new believer. Secondarily, it was sacred. I wasn't going to share it with people. No way. And then people said, no, no, you need to share it. So I started to share it. It sounds really cool, right? Jewish boy goes to Israel, gets saved on the Transfiguration Mountain on Yom Kippur. He meets Yeshua. Wow. You should write a book about that. You shouldn't be impressed with it. I was so far gone, I needed something like that. God was gracious to me. What did I have to do with the vision? What did you have to do with getting saved? Well, let me in on a secret. I know, I know, I know. I could have a mega church. I know. Clean up my act a little bit. Don't offend. I could, I could have so many people. I know. Tell a few more jokes. I'm a really funny guy. I know. Guys, you don't have to worry. You're sitting there shaking your head saying, please, Rabbi, don't, because if, if you go that route, I'll leave. First of all, don't give yourself that much credit. Secondly, I'm not doing it so you don't leave. I'm doing it so he doesn't leave. That's the most important thing to me, guys. When I heard about Shana, none of you could help me. None of you even knew what was going on. Some of you got a prayer request and prayed and then went about your merry business. Are we still going out for Chinese tonight? I get it. She's not yours. 
I went to the wall. I went to the wall and saturated the floor with my tears. I go to God direct. He's the most important thing to me. He saved me. He delivered me. He continues to forgive me. And he's coming back for me. You could forget it if you think I'm going to suck up to you. But Rabbi, I give a lot. I wouldn't know. I never checked the records. Rabbi, I cut the grass. I'll find the lawnmower. Who do you think cleaned up Price Road for five years? I had no problem with it. It's the least I could do. The spirit of legalism makes a person feel special because they got a secret revelation. Do you know what the Lord's telling me? You sure he told you to tell me? I never checked. I bet you didn't. Maybe you should check first. There's things I tell Jeremy that I don't tell Shana, Max, and Lily. There's things I tell Shana that I don't tell Jeremy, Max, or Lily. You get it? Maybe when God's telling you something, it's just between a father and his kid. But we also operate in legalism when we obey a certain law that not the greater body is obeying, like food. And feast. You know what separates you from a typical Christian? Food and feasts. That is it. That is it. Food and feasts. And you want to build a feast wall and a food wall? Well, Rabbi, I met my perfect soulmate. We both love country music. We're both vegan. And we both like the beach. Wow, sounds like a match in heaven. You guys are going to have a wonderful marriage. You could be a vegan and be married to a carnivore. It's okay. The broccoli and the steak ain't going to fight each other. See what you eat, I'll eat what I eat. You don't have to declare war over that. You don't have to be the same. You can have different interests. You're your own person. God made you special with certain gifting. If you're just like your spouse, man, you want to talk about a boring household. We're the same. We do everything the same. We go everywhere together. If he dies, I die. Mm-hmm. Legalism is as different from the law, hear me, as religious spirit is as different from religion. A religious spirit is different from religion. They're not the same. When people go, he's religious, you actually complimented him. And you think you didn't. Anybody hear me? Come on. Come on, little psychopaths. How many times have you thrown around the religious spirit nonsense? Religion is a good thing. Read your Bible. The word in the New Testament is threskos. And guess what it means? What does religion mean, Rabbi? What does religious mean? It means to fear God and worship Him. And I said that was a bad thing. Maybe I should shut up. Well, at least shut up before you find out what you trying to say, and if you're really saying it, a religious spirit is bad. That's observing certain things to impress people and impress God. Fearing and worshiping God is a good thing. Therefore, a religious spirit is a type of demonic spirit that influences a person to replace a genuine relationship with God with works and traditions. Sounds like legalism? They go hand in hand. This spirit will skillfully mutter words of judgment towards others in a believer's life. If you find yourself judging a lot of people, you might have a religious spirit. 
And you didn't even know it. Because it's cloaked. And it doesn't want you to know you have it. This voice will become louder and louder against the body of Messiah until he or she feels completely justified to place blame and accuse their brethren. In fact, they go, well, they hated the prophets. Who said you were a prophet? Well, they sought Isaiah in two. They want to saw you in two because you're a jerk, not because you're a prophet. Like, by you saying that, well, I'm just operating in the prophetic and they hate... Do you hear what? Do you hear how arrogant you are? You see any of the prophets of old walking around going, I'm a prophet. I'm Isaiah the prophet. I see the prophets going, listen, I gave you the message. It was very short and sweet. Uh, no offense. This comes from God. Where, where do you think you're going? Back to the farm. Just going back to the farm. I got some fig trees to take care of. Them. No big deal. Do you really think Paul would have thought that anybody's going to read his letters? These little obscure letters he wrote? From letters he received about what was going on in these little obscure congregations with all of 22 people? You think he would have thought, hey, this is good stuff. I mean, the whole body of Messiah in 2,000 years from now are going to be studying this stuff and getting it wrong. So religion is good. A religious spirit is not. By the same token, the law is good, but legalism is not. Here's the bottom line. And next week we will we will get into it. We will get into the food and the feasts. And I will give you what I've been thinking about for 30 years. And you could say, Rabbi, I, I haven't seen it this way. Or you can go, Rabbi, thanks, but no thanks. And we're still family. You can have unity without uniformity. I just want you to know that. You don't have to agree on every item, man, to get along. This is the problem in the body of Messiah. You believe you choose the only way? Hey, brother. You believe? Hey, brother. Hey, you're going down the line. 30 different line items. And you agree. And you're like, brother. So what do you think about Christmas? Yeah, I don't celebrate it. We're done. We just, we're done. That's how some of you are. About the tribulation, about the rapture. If somebody doesn't agree with you, you're done. How's that marriage working out for you? How are you so irreconciled over minor issues? Straining in that. Ingesting a camel. The Mosaic Covenant is not faulty. It is fault finding. There's nothing wrong with it. There's something with the raw materials it's working with. Just as a mirror cannot clean a dirty face, the Torah cannot clean a dirty soul. Therefore, the problem is not with the Torah's use, but with the Torah's abuse. The book of Romans tells us that the Torah is holy, just, and good. But we must understand that when it comes to salvation, Paul, as well as the entire Bible itself, will not let anyone add or subtract from Yeshua's work at Golgotha. Do you understand that was the crux of his letters? Do you know why? Did you ever think why? Read his letters like maybe you should. Like really read the letter from cover to cover. And take your time reading it. And when you're not sure, pause and ask the Holy Spirit what this means. And read it back in context. And look up the words. And find out who the recipients were. And find out where Paul was when he wrote it. And find out what was the theme of why he was writing it. What did he hear that he was responding back to? What is the focal point? What is the message overall of the letter? Guys, Paul was a religious zealot. Paul was one of the most fanatical Jewish zealots there were. So fanatical that he got letters from the Sanhedrin to go to congregations and find his brethren 
Jewish people who have been persecuted for centuries, and he was going to persecute his own people. He would drag them out of the synagogues and bring them before the Sanhedrin and ask the Sanhedrin to give them the death penalty because these Jewish brothers of his believed in Yeshua. And all of a sudden, as he's on his way to Syria to go to another Messianic congregation and weed out the Jews who believed in Jesus, he gets knocked off his horse. And he realized, how can I be this I love God with all my heart. I kill for God. I would die for God. How could I be this wrong? How could you be the Messiah? My Messiah. And I miss it. How could I have missed it? Because we miss it. Because you're not ironclad. And he said, show me some dignity. Let me die like a samurai. I don't want to show my face. So take my head. Lop it off. At least I can die with some dignity. That's how I want to go out. And as he leans down and bends down his head, waiting for Yeshua to take that sword out of his mouth and lop it off, he feels a hand underneath his chin, and he says, I forgive you, and I love you, and you're going to be the apostle to the Gentiles. You're going to bring the Gentiles. It's going to be you I'm going to use to bring the Gentiles into the kingdom. And because of that experience he had, he wouldn't let anybody mess with the work at Golgotha. Nobody will add to it. Not with food, not with feasts, not with giving to the poor, not with homeless, not with going to the nursing home, not with taking care of your mother, your father, or being... Nothing will add to that work. It is a hundred percent grace. And he wouldn't let anybody mess with it. And I got saved the same way. And I'm not going to let anybody mess with it. You want to go before God and impress him? Knock yourself out. Just don't let me be near you. The execution stake of Yeshua is all sufficient. And that's why Yeshua could say, It is finished. Here's the deal. Either a finite man pays for sin for an infinite period of time, or an infinite man pays for sin for all time. The choice is yours. Let's stand together. I sent out the scriptures for next week. It's all about the Jerusalem Council in Acts 15 and how they had a problem because Gentiles were coming into the faith. And the Jewish brethren was like, what do we do with them? We've never had anything to do with them. They're, 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 they're pagans. What do we do with them? So I'm going to try to help us, including myself, understand what was really going on. And then we're going to go over certain parts of some letters. In Colossians, and Romans, where it says the kingdom isn't about food or drink. And I believe some of you in the Messianic movement have twisted it. It's like in Colossians 2, I think you've twisted it. It's clearly in the context they were Judaizers who was telling them they had to do Shabbat. And then you read it as, don't let anybody judge you. You go, oh, those were the Gentiles that were judging the Gentiles for doing it. No, man, you're reading out of context. You twisted it to fit your theology. Why would a pagan give a crap about another pagan celebrating on Shabbat? Does that make sense to you? Hey, we have a million gods. Now they're celebrating Shabbat. That's a million and one. That's too much. 
One too much. No, man. They were Jews who were saying, if you don't do this, you're not saved. Don't mess with Golgotha. Don't you dare. After that, we'll talk about that too. Okay, okay, I get it, Rabbi. I'm on, I'm on, I'm on the same page with you. It's fundamental. I'm good. Now what? What do you mean, now what? Act like Yeshua. That's what. Would Yeshua lie? Would Yeshua steal? Would Yeshua let a homeless guy be unfed? Would Yeshua not share the gospel of the kingdom with somebody? Would Yeshua disrespect an old person, not take care of a handicapped person? Come on. This isn't rocket science. This isn't rocket science, man. This is, this is basic. You know what Yeshua would do. You don't need a rubber bracelet that's overpriced to tell you what would Jesus do. Okay, what, what, what would Jesus do here? He'd kick the guy. Say, get a job. You don't need that bracelet. Forget about what would he do. Find out what he did and do likewise. Oh, you know what? Don't hold hands right now. I forgot about something. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. No, because sometimes you buy somebody you don't know and you hold a hand real little time and that's weird. And, and I know that feeling. That's why I'm up here and you're down there. Um, do, I, I hate to ask this, but do we have a mom here that's really up in age? Are there any moms over 80 here that have children? Your children don't have to be with you. Miss Thelma, how old are you? 82. Miss Shirley, what are you, like 82 and a half? All right, I'll tell you what. I'm going to go out on a limb here. I only brought one set of flowers for the oldest mom. I'm going to give you a set and you a set, okay? Happy Mother's Day. Love you. Now, next, youngest mom. Any mom under 21 here? Any mom under 25 here? Oh, got a bunch of old moms, huh? <laughs> Any mom between 25 and 30? How old? I hate to ask, but I got to. Only have one left. How old? 29. Twenty-seven? I don't know you that well, right? We've never met. This is good because I know them, and if I would have gave it to the 28-year-old, the 29-year-old would have had a problem with me. So here, happy Mother's Day. Also, Jamie is a consolation prize because she didn't get the flowers. Um, she's going to, she's going to, this is a real act of humility. She's a professional photographer, and if any of you moms today want pictures with your children, um, she's going to be at the wall. She's going to take them for free and send them to you for free, all for free, as just a gift from her to you guys. Okay, um, please, if you get a chance, look at those scriptures. There's nine screens. It's really not exhaustive. I would like you to read them and then study them. And don't study them with your preconceived lens. Remember what we said about yara, the root word to Torah? It means hitting the mark or getting the bullseye. If you study them with your preconceived lens, then you're putting the arrow in the wall, painting your target around it and going, look, I got a bullseye. 
But if you read it under the unction of the Holy Spirit in its context and you do a couple of word studies, I think you might find something out. And then, and then when you come in, you know, next week and I go over it, you know, my, you know, you might be able to disagree, but you'll be able to disagree not with preconceived notions, but with study. And I just want you to know I love you, so you have a right to be wrong. Okay? <laughs> know that. Now we can hold hands one more. Last time, I'll be brief. I promise. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. And may the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. In the name of the Prince of all peace, Yeshua. Shalom. I love you guys. Shabbat shalom.